time to down your unders. Down your unders. The Frontline Gaming Network brings to you Art of War. Down Under. Review and dissection of content from some of the sharpest minds in the game. Hosted by Adam Camilleri. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this episode 22 of uh, the Art of War Down Under podcast slash this is your hobby life, uh, as, as we are doing when we don't particularly have things to review. Um, I'm joined by a pretty well-known, auspicious gentleman of some caliber. He is the co-founder of the ITC, CEO and co-founder of Frontline Gaming, and general trailblazer of uh, the tabletop gaming community, Mr. Reese Richard Robbins. Hello, my man. How you doing? Good. Good to have you. Or, I'm sorry. Good to be here. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. You're too used to, too used to running your own show. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> But uh, Reese has been wonderful enough to come on here for this second episode of uh, This Is Your Hobby Live. Hopefully you guys have enjoyed the last one I had with Adam Abramowitz. Um, naturally, I had to do the first one. But the second one, I wanted to go straight to the top and talk about uh, talk with a gentleman whose story has got so much, had had so much influence in inspiring so many others to get involved with competitive gaming. Not only that, um, starting up a very successful business in his own right and showing his skill and caliber. So we're going to be we're going to be taking a bit of a journey through uh, Mr. Reese's, Mr. Robbins. <laughs> Mr. Reese Richard Roberts. Jeez, why that? So, for, okay, first and foremost, why the three R's? We have, yeah, we have, no, we have it's, a, start there. It's funny. My my dad is Richard Rutherford Robbins, and um, I don't know why. <laughs> it's just like a family tradition. And in in college, it was hilarious. Um, I I got into this uh, academic. Um, I was invited into this academic community, and when they invite you in, it's like a really formal. Um, uh, it's, it's it's like a big yep. deal, right? Yeah, it's called the Order of Omega. And um, so they I was living in a fraternity house at the time. And so they come in, they're all fancy dress. And they're like, we are here to invite Reese Richard Robbins, son of Richard Rutherford Robbins, to the Order of Omega. And then my buddy's like, Rutherford? And then everyone started laughing. I'm like, you dicks. This is supposed to be a proud moment in my academic career. That is so uh, good. So yeah, it's, it's kind of a silly triple R, but it's like a thing now. So if I have a son, I'll it have is. to. So I'll have to stick to I, it. I was, I was about to say, will you really honor this tradition? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, if 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 the if the wife um, when I do get married, if the wife is on board with it, mm. I, I would probably stick to it. Um, I I would guess she she's either going to be all in, both feet in, or she's going to veto that stuff from yeah. like from orbit. From orbit. She's going to yeah. veto that. <laughs> I'm like, how about radical Ronan Robbins? Uh, no. <laughs> oh, that's phenomenal. Uh, please do that. Anyway, <laughs> so well, for those of you who don't know, this is a this is an Audible podcast. This is a two parter. So the first part will go out for general consumption. This will be coming out the weekend. Uh, this will be coming out the Thursday, Christmas Eve, essentially, uh, for general consumption for the, the wider audience. But for those of the Patreon group, you guys are getting this a week early. But this for some, this will be the Christmas episode. So if it is, Merry Christmas to you out there. Merry Christmas. Hopefully, you have a, a wonderful time with your families if you are able, and if it is safe, um, wherever you may be in this big wide world. It's been a hell of a year, and hopefully, um, you get. To, to spread some love and some cheer if you can um any christmas messages for the people reese oh uh, you said it you said it very well i wish everybody merry christmas and hopefully 2021 is better than 2020 for the most for, for most of us when you're starting at the bottom there's there's not many other way you got to go up from here right sure, yeah exactly sure <laughs> yeah. um but so this is uh as, as people who know the art of war down on the podcast we usually review content that comes out from g-dub and we would have had a wonderful death guard codex probably around now that we'd probably be doing a part one and a part two on uh, but because we don't we i, I have another couple of formats that i like to do and one of them is this kind of this hot this is your hobby life so we're going to be talking to reese we're going to be deep diving into his story how things got started for him where he really got his feet wet in uh, competitive gaming on top of that um we're going to be talking frontline game we're going to be talking loves and passions in in hobby and nerdism and family friends ups and downs disappointments and victories all those things and uh we'll be going for about an hour and then cutting it and then going for a second hour over for the patrons so if you are all interested in that please jump over to our patreon page which is the art of war underscore down under one word or you can find us on the art of war uh new website so that is the art of war 40k.com where you can purchase both the art of war and the art of war down under podcast for a nice flat rate ten dollars rather than the the six ish dollars you get by being on the patreons for each so first and foremost like little reese what kind of a kid were you were you a were you a nerdy kid were you a jock were you a sporty kid or as was nerdism and the gaming always a part of your life yeah i was the best way to describe 
um, to describe me from that perspective is 50-50 nerd jock. Um, I played mm. sports. I was super duper athletic. I was the um, athlete of the year for my high school, which wow, uh, yeah, it's just like one person every year gets selected to be yeah. that. And um, I played sports in college. I played rugby in college, and um, uh, super duper into sports. And then that was like my one big passion, and the other one was mm. uh, nerd nerd culture, geek culture, and that was from a really early age. I like those were the two things that I enjoyed the most in life. And I was, I was an athlete up until I hurt my knee a couple of years ago. I'm hopefully getting it fixed. But up until like, right as we were starting frontline gaming, I was doing 24 hour relay races, marathons, triathlons. Wow. Yeah. All that sort of stuff. But I, I can't really do it right now, but I'm hoping mm. to get my, my knee fixed and get back, get back out there. Yeah. I had a similar story. I, um, yeah, I actually relate to that a lot. I played, I played basketball, I played football most of my younger years. I'm oh, sorry, more the football in my older life, but I played a lot of basketball. I was never, a, I was never a super fit kid, but I was always a really strong kid. So everyone always wanted me on their team as like the center or the, right. the fullback, full forward for, for whatnot. But uh, yeah, and it was weird that I was, I felt like a, someone coined a phrase eight years ago. It's a daywalker, you know, for blade. <laughs> Daywalker yeah, that's is a vampire. The, it's like the, you're, you're the jock daywalker because you're like during the nighttime you're a nerd, during the daytime you're a jock. Because um, you know I'd play I'd play two or three sports or hang around with all the jocks and the fit guys at school, and I'd go home and play play WoW and Diablo two and pay miniatures and yeah, it was a really interesting kind of one foot in each realm. Um, who were your influences in the nerd culture? Was it your parents? Was it friends? Was it family? Family or was it older peers? No, it's it, my dad is like the most old school, red blooded American man of all time, and he like mm-hmm. can't stand anything nerdy. Um, so that was always not something we shared in common. But uh, my mom liked uh, she liked like Star Trek and Star Wars and horror, um, like loves Stephen King and 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 horror novels. So I shared that with my mom, and then my my dad was the sports side, um, and then you know my grandparents were a huge influence on me. They, they raised me partially and they're super into mythology. So they would yep. take me to the, um, to the library, which for younger people is a place that holds books. <laughs> it's like the physical internet. And um, they would take me to the library and we would check the books out. And so I was super into um, Greek and Norse mythology mm-hmm. when I was a kid. Um, and that, that was, I think where it started for sure. I, yeah. I, funny enough, I can relate to that. It was my mom. My mom was my nerd influence. It was me and my brother's nerd influence as well. She was a fanatical star Wars, uh, fan, fan girl, I guess. And uh, yeah, we read all the, the, the non-canon star Wars books when we were growing up and it was on star Wars was on every weekend. She'd put the different versions of it on. Like she had the ones that she taped off TV, like when yeah. it was on TV the first time and she VHS taped it. And then we'd have the, the ones with the, the new sound effects and all that stuff as well. Uh, but yeah, when, when did tabletop gaming become a thing? Cause I know so, so, uh, for people who don't know, how, how old do you race? I'm 39. Yeah. I'll be yeah, 40 a, pretty, pretty soon here. There's definitely been different waves of kind of nerd culture. And I suppose there was a, the wave before you and then there was a wave after you. The one before was probably the first gen, what, D&D players, right? Yeah, that was in the 70s and the 60s. Mm-hmm. And they were like the real pioneers. I was, yeah. born, in, I was born in 81. And uh, that, was at the, that was like right when the like satanic panic stuff was going on. When, oh, uh, if you do yeah. D&D, you're going to worship Satan and smoke crack. And, all, yeah. and like, you know, obviously it's silly. Um, so I had to hide all my D and D books. And like when wow. I was, a, when I was like a, a teenager, I would seriously like leave like playboys as like a smoke screen. Like, <laughs> Oh, so when my mom was going through my room, she's like, Oh, I found his stash. I'm like, ha ha bomb. It's actually the D <laughs> books that I'm really hiding. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so tell us a little bit, Tell us a little bit more that because that's that's not something that gets a lot of light shown on it. So for a while there was a lot of stigma around, yeah, I suppose, nerd time. culture. Well, anything that was alternative really kind of copped a stick during that early, sorry, late eighties, early nineties, mid nineties, even. Yeah, no, it was like even into the late nineties, man. Because I graduated high school in ninety nine, oh, and it was still like like my I had my jock buddies that you like go to like do kind of like normal social stuff with, and I had my mm-hmm. my nerdy buddies. <clears throat> that were like way nicer people and a lot more fun to genuinely hang out with. <laughs> but like, it was like, if you played magic or D and D or like 40 K, like it was not something that you, um, 
like told people about like it was like very hush hush like like you got thrown in your you got shoved in your locker for a lot of kids if they found out that you like read comics and all this sort of stuff and all my jock buddies mercilessly made fun of me for it but i would always catch them like looking at it you know (laughs) so yeah oh man yeah that's a real thing isn't it they everyone was like nerd curious but no one could no one could come out enough um so as as far as we yeah. cause you touched on you touched yeah. on stigma quite a quite a bit there have you ever had any like significant experiences with stigma either either on either side of, the, of it you, you talked about getting shoved around and, and mocked a bit but anything more severe than that no i never got shoved around i, I just other people would um mm. I, thankfully being half jock all the guys i unfortunately knew most of the, the jerks um yeah. and they, they knew to leave me alone but it was sad that that would happen to people um yeah that it's you know some of my friends and stuff that they would get picked on because of it and now today thankfully that's not a thing anymore now it's like almost it's almost mainstream now like if you like comics that's like kind of cool now like it's not yeah. it's nowhere near as as stigmatized as it was when when i was a kid growing up with it so what came first for you was it video games cards comics miniatures so i got a nintendo an nes when i was yeah. i was in first grade and before that, my best friend on the street had um, Pong. Do, um, Hell yeah, on Atari. Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. No, it wasn't even Atari. It was like a Pong machine that you plugged into the TV. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. And then my, my uncle had a, um, oh, I think it was, I don't remember if it was Atari or what, but it was like had like River Raider and like all these like old classic games. So started out with that and then uh, pretty quickly got into tabletop. My first tabletop game was classic Battletech, and that came out in the late 80s. Um, and I saw it at the bookstore, and I was like, what is this? Because <laughs> oh, that uh, was one of the ones where you, you collected it week by week, didn't you? Um, no, that one, that was in the very, very early days. That was when D&D was still TSR with Redbox and all that stuff. Ah, uh, yeah. So yeah, yeah. There was, it was back then, it was really, really hard to find. Like, you had to really search to find anywhere that had any gaming products, because, of course, this is before the internet. And hmm. uh, so it was hard to even like find anything that carried these products. Like we, a lot of the times when you got introduced to them, it was purely chance, right? Like yeah. you're at, you're at like a, a bookstore that had a D and D book or something. You're like, what is this? And then it's like this whole, you know, discovery that occurs. It's really exciting. Um, but mostly you would just open the phone book, uh, look in the yellow pages to find uh, a game store, something that sounded like a game store call them, hmm. see if they had anything go. And it, they just had what they had. And um, so it was actually really hard to find like expansions and stuff or to even learn about them. Like you, you usually had to have marketing material in the box itself saying like, oh, here's our whole catalog of products. Yeah. And then it was on you to like figure out how to find them. You know, it was a lot more challenging. So we've got a lot of, we've probably got a lot of demo, different demographics listening to this podcast. Well, hopefully we do. Uh, hopefully we're appealing to a wide audience. But are you able to describe what Battletech is? Because it really is kind of the precursor to all kind of tabletop. Well, apart from the, the tabletop part portions of D&D. But it really kind yeah. of was the, the the bit that came out and said, hey, here's a game played exclusively with miniatures. Um, you able to tell people a bit about Battletech? Like, what is it? How does it work? Yeah, so battle, classic Battletech still to this day holds up. It's, in my opinion, one of the most enjoyable tabletop games to play and it's there's you could have like a five-hour podcast about the history of that game because it's one of those games that's bounced around from studio to studio it's been in and out of litigation um because like humorously i was also super duper into anime which at the time was like in its infancy in america Mm -hmm. i love i was a massive fan of voltron as a little boy like dude me too i was huge 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 fan and like my favorite toy i got the, Vol- the full Voltron set, and they were actually made of they were die cast metal with plastic mm. on it, like so it was a chonky beast of a model. And so when I saw BattleTech, it appealed to me because I I loved Voltron, Voltron and Ultraman. Um, Ultraman. Up. Yeah, right. Like, and that was whenever we went to go to the video store. Which for those of you who are young, it's like uh, Netflix, but in a store. Yeah, um, I would always rent those videos as a little boy. <laughs> So when I saw Battletech, it's a game where you're in giant robots. And coincidentally, they got into all kinds of trouble because there's this mix-up. The coolest-looking robots were all from Robotech. And mm. that is how I was introduced into Robotech, when Robotech's badass, right? Like, um, super-duper cool. So you have this game where you pick four 
giant robots and it's super, you know, it's a gamer's game. It's super chunky with all the rules. And then you check off little circles on your damage sheet when you get shot. And then when the, like a, when your arm takes too much damage, it gets like blown off and then another guy can pick it up and smack. Yes. It. It's so fun. Um, uh. Not balanced in the slightest, but it's super, super fun. I still think it's a great, it's a great game from a design perspective. It's relatively quick. It's not, you only have four models. Uh, mm. it, it, it's really fun. And then you can, there's a lot of depth to it when you can make your own robots and customize them and stuff like that. Well, it's really kind of evocative of Titan- Titanicus, isn't it? Of what, of what, yeah. um, what APOC used to be. And pre- prior to that, what... um. Yeah, well, all those pre- kind of those precursor tiny, tiny scale games. But uh, man, when you said when you said uh, waking up in the morning first, well, so what came to mind for me? I remember waking up in the morning at like five o'clock to, yeah. to watch Thunderbirds, Astro yeah. Boy, and, <laughs> and Voltron back to back at five o'clock yeah. in the morning on, on a Saturday, and I was like, "This is the best start to a yeah. weekend ever." Uh, <laughs> Astro Boy was always my favorite, but that was because I was—I think I was probably a bit younger than you. There, Voltron, Voltron was a little, a little bit over my head when I was like, you know, six, seven years old. It was just yeah. like, wow, colors, robots. Yeah, yeah exactly. And I loved it because you know Voltron's really old. Like I was the same age when it came out. Yeah. And because um, then I was just trying to find more and more of it, but it was again, it was like impossible to find Japanese animation outside of like mm-hmm. the really mainstream stuff like Voltron. So I remember as a kid, I found Dragon Ball for the first time on Telemundo, the Oof. Spanish channel. Yeah. I had no idea what was going on, but I still thought it was the <laughs> coolest thing I'd it. ever seen. <laughs> uh, love it. Uh, what was your What was your first miniature? What was the first? Uh, sorry, uh, the first. So you said BattleTech would have been the first miniature. What was your first forty k miniature or first Warhammer Citadel miniature? Yeah, so I was introduced to forty k. I have I have a humongous family, um, like huge family, and we're spread around basically all over the Commonwealth. And um, yeah. I went to go visit my cousins in England. They lived in Cambridge and they're, they're about my age. Um, uh, just like a little bit younger than me. And they were like, Oh, we got to go to the games workshop. And I'm like, what's that? And they're like, you're going to love it. So we go in <laughs> and I was like, my eyes went wide and I was like, yeah. you know, doves took flight. Everything was in slow motion. <laughs> I was like, what is this? The coolest thing I've ever seen. And, um, my very first miniature was, a uh, the old dark angels captain with the, feathered, feathered um, yeah, yeah. helmet they've redone the model in plastic now and uh that was it's, the very first model i ever bought i still have it it's in the store i show people all the time like i bought this miniature like over 20 years ago or what however long ago it was now mm. um, like 20 something god i'm old yeah yeah like 26 feel, yeah. years ago <laughs> but that's that's the dude standing he's got one hand on his hip and one hand on his sword which is like yes. leaning into the that's, ground that's yeah, exactly yeah. it I've got the same one. I don't. I don't think I've painted it. I think I bought it like when I was eleven years old, and it's. I stuck it together with um, PVA and what's that? What's that horrible claggy? Never mind. Never mind. The stuff that sticks like it. it, it you, it's two part. Two part paint. Uh, oh, like an epoxy. Yeah. Yeah, and it sticks like concrete, and it's yeah. ruined. I've got like six or seven of those models. One of them's like a plague marine and whatnot. But. Uh, yeah, like that that doves fly moment when you first get into it. I, I really like to, to deep dive that when I when I talk to people who've had that experience because I think that's one of the most powerful things that we can talk about. Um, like, what did you think? Was this like this was just a dream come true for you, or had you never imagined that something like forty k or Warhammer or tabletop gaming could exist in such a manner? Yeah, I had no clue, right? Because the only way I ever got anybody to play games like BattleTech or one of the other games that we played a ton when I was a kid was Marvel superheroes from TSR. Uh, cause I'm a huge yep. comic book. I like, I love comics too. I had to go and like get other people in, like involved. And like, usually once they got into it, they super liked it. So mm-hmm. I got to see that moment with a lot of other people and they're like, this is so cool. But when you walk into a games workshop, it's a different experience because it was a whole store dedicated to this one thing and they had yeah. terrain and like in the States back then, almost every game store was also a comic book shop and they, yeah. um, and they, there was no gaming space. Like that was unheard of. Right. Like, they just mm-hmm. had the product on the shelf. So then seeing the tables and people playing, it was like, blew my mind. I was just mm-hmm. like smitten by it immediately. And uh, I begged, I begged my mom have... to get me a box of tactical squads. And it was the crappy second edition one where they're all in the exact same pose. Yeah. And you, yeah. Push, you push it, you push in the bolter into yeah. the, the yep. hands. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, uh, um, 
Well, that would have been like so. You were over there in England going to a games workshop. That would have all. Would there have been a games workshop in Northern America then? Um, I don't think there was any at that time. But in the back of the White Dwarf, they had a list of independent retailers. Mm-hmm. So that I got a White Dwarf, I brought it back with me, and then I found one. Um, there was two stores in my like relatively close area. So then I got all my buddies into it, and then we went to the store, and like of course I was like. You know how it is, especially with a kid. You're like, oh, this is a cheese chiller. He has four yeah. arms. He can punch really hard. <laughs> you know, just going uh, crazy. And um, so from like a really early age, I was constantly having to recruit people into the hobby if I wanted to have anybody to play with. Because that was my next question. If it wasn't, if it didn't exist in your, like where you lived, how did you like find a way to get into the community or find a way to, to find peers? You, you just said you had to do, you had to recruit yourself. How successful yeah. was that? Did you get a little bit of a hobby group together and how long did that take? Yeah, actually it was way, like, it was way easier than you would think, especially when you're like, once you get into high school, it's a little bit, it can be a little bit more challenging because people are a lot more socially conscious. Like, Oh, how does this make me look? Yeah. Like when I was in like junior high and like grade school, I would literally just take out like the battle tech map on the grass and the, on the playground. and be like, who wants to play with giant robots? And everybody's like me, mm-hmm. you know? So it was, it was easy then. But then as you got older, it, it proved to be a little bit more challenging, but yeah, so just like creating community and getting people into it. I had to do it. Otherwise I wouldn't have anybody to play with. And I never had a, it wasn't hard for me because I was so enthusiastic about it. Like it's pretty mm. easy to sell it to other, yeah. other kids. So what was your first, so when you, when you got first got into to 40 K, how long did it take you before you kind of um, joined a wider community, like passed out of a hobby group? Or w- w- was that a, a long thing in the making? Yeah. So that like when I was a kid, we, it was just our friends, like our, our group of buddies. Yeah. And like we made a table out of like some like plywood that we spray painted green and glued like rocks yeah. and grass onto it and stuff. It looked terrible, but we thought it was like, you know, art. And like yeah. we would recruit <laughs> other kids from the school to come and play, but it was a relatively small group. Um, mm. and then when I was in when I was in high school, we had a, a hobby shop in my town. Again, it was a comic slash hobby shop that actually had a play space. So that really changed everything, right? Because yeah, you would go up and it was like in the loft of the building and they had like a couple tables with those, those old like hex foam, like pieces that had grass on them and you'd stick them together to mm. make a space. And they would actually have events at the store and they had like four tables. Wow. Um, and that, and that, this was in 97, 98, 99 in that time frame. And, um, I would see people playing that I'd never seen before. And you're like, Oh, sh- Oh wow. You like, there's other people that play this. Because again, yeah. the internet the internet is in its infancy at this time, and there's you like going online to find people to play a game with was just like not normal. Mm. Like normally, what you did is you would put like a paper up in the game store that says like, "Call me if you like playing 40k," and has your number on it, right? Yeah. And people would take one, tear one off, and, and give you a call, right? And that was no, I yeah. did. Like I have a lot of my friends I met that way. That's so amazing. that was when, yeah, that was when we started getting more into it, and that was when I first encountered tournaments. And it was like such a shock to the system because I was like a hardcore, like we didn't have these terms back then, but I was like a a fluff gamer where like my army looked just like the one in the middle of the book, which we all know is crap. And (laughs) like, I thought I was doing it right because I was doing it the way the codex said to do it. And all my bases had that crappy goblin green rim. Hey, don't you say anything bad about goblin green. It's hideous. That's the the OG. That's the... That's the root of that's the root of all things. That's the fountain of youth, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> What's well, funny because the first time I saw somebody that had painted the rim of their base like brown, I was like, "You can do that." I didn't. I thought that was against the rules. <laughs> <laughs> I love that stuff. So, what was your first army? Uh, my first army was Dark Angels, and Dark Angels. Um, yeah. And I had you know one unit of Ravenwing, one unit of Deathwing. Uh, Deathwing. Yeah, I yeah. had a Devastator squad where everyone had a different weapon, different which gun. is really mm, stupid. <laughs> Yeah. And you're one predator and one dreadnought. Yes, yep. <laughs> yes, that's exact, that is exactly correct. I had all the I had all the named characters, and this is back in four, uh, second edition. Excuse me, edition. when so when your early. army it was only like twenty five models, right? So, so those following really small. Yeah. following on at home, those Dark Angels models, they're the same Dark Angels models. Same, right now, maybe that's the yeah. same Asriel. That's the same Asmodai. Or maybe maybe not the same Asmodai actually. Yeah, the those, they're people. like they're like yeah. twenty. They're over twenty years old, and yeah, it was funny because. My buddy, my gaming, 
one of my best gaming buddies, he played Blood Angels and I played Dark Angels. And so back then the codex was Angels of Death. It was both. Mm, yeah. So we saved money and we bought it together. And then we got all the special characters and we were super excited. And we went back to his house and we were going through it. We're like, dude, oh man, Azrael could do this. And he's like, oh, look mm. at Mephiston. And I was like, that was my first moment of like, what the, what the heck? I was like, he's way better. <laughs> he's way better. He's better than everybody. <laughs> I was like, he's so much better. And it's so obvious. Like, how did this... I was like, why isn't Asriel this good? This sucks. It's not, even a, it's not even a freaking chapter master. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that was like the first time when I got that sense of like, that they, this wait a minute, this isn't right. <laughs> mm. so, oh so you took, okay. Oh, I was going to say, it's a funny story because my first tournament experience like was hilarious. So we go to this tournament. Um, everyone is basically playing like out of the middle of the book. I have my army. I was doing really well. I was, I was really proud of myself. I made it to the top, the final game, right? This is second edition. And I was playing against this super smart kid who like min-maxed his army. And he took uh, his whole army, basically, was a unit of Wolfguard Terminators, which back then, every guy could take, it was like a Thunder Hammer, an Assault Cannon, and a Cyclone Missile Launcher. Like, yes, I remember. And I was like, and as a kid, Yikes. I'm like, what is the, I'm like, what is this nonsense? And he's like, yeah, if I shoot them all at the same time, it adds an inch to the diameter of the blast for every missile. So it's like a like it's like an eighteen inch circle. Exactly. <laughs> like yeah. Firstly, how did that kid get that many assault cannons and cyclone missile launchers? It was one per pack of five terminators. That kid must have been <laughs> like in bank. That's t- yeah, really it. yeah. It was hilarious. And then he, you know, of course, I get super salty, and I'm like, "This is bullshit!" Mm. Like, and that was my first encounter with like playing something that's optimized because it just felt wrong, right? I was like, "This yeah. is clearly not what they meant." <laughs> mm. Uh, yeah, it, it's such a it, as as a competitive game. I'm sure you, you can relate. It is it is a shock to the system, and then like you go home and you're like, well, I guess I have to do that now too, don't I? Because <laughs> I'm not going to yeah. stop doing this awesome, amazing activity I now love. Yeah, and it's because then that changed everything. And then I, I moved to San Diego to go to college. Um, I took a little bit of break from gaming while I was in college because I was working almost mm. full time. I had my own business. I was taking full load, and I was playing sports. So I just didn't have almost any time. And then at the end, I started playing again. And then the group I was in there um, playing with were like ridiculously good players. Because I came in super cocky. I was like, I'm really good at this game. And it just gets smashed. <laughs> I was like, apparently, I'm not that good at this game. Teach me. <laughs> and um, the, guys, the guys there were like hardcore power, like unapologetic power gamers. So and was, that, was that fifth edition by then or was that still fourth? That was the, I, I, that was the very beginning of like fourth just came out. Yeah, because that the fourth was the first time I think there was an actual scene that anybody actually remembers. To that was like you know people people traveled to tournaments, people would leave their town yeah. to go and yeah. and do things. And G Dub had their big game days, and they had their um, Ard Boys tournaments and all that other bits and bobs. Like it, it really fourth edition really seemed like the the first time that G Dub tipped their dipped their toe into the the bigger events, the wider community. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it definitely that was when things were becoming more organized and. Of course, mm. coincidentally, this is when the internet starts to play a really big role yeah. in it, right? Because the internet allowed everybody to get organized, right? Like, that was a huge part of it. And the other mm. part of it was the Dawn of War video game had come out. And yes. it brought in a ton of new people. Just a ton of people came in because of the game. Like, mm. our gaming group increased by, like, 50%. And it was almost all of them like, oh, Dawn of War was cool. And I found out you could actually get these miniatures in real life. So And they're all playing Blood Ravens. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was quite popular, um, <laughs> and that was a, that was fourth edition was weird. It was really fun, but it has all this weird hangover stuff from third. Yeah, man, like, like the way terrain, it, like the level, the yeah. different like inches and levels of terrains, and you had to guess your ranges and all that yeah. stuff. Yeah, mm. yeah, it was it had a lot of holdover rules from second edition actually. Um, yeah, but I, I started that was when I joined a club that played every Wednesday. That was there was like 20, 30 people showed up every week. And the core guys that ran the club were hardcore power gamers, like yeah. unapologetically, like they were super nice and they were really good stewards of the community. And they, they never just like curb stomped a new player, but their favorite way to play the game was to take the most heinous list they could and smash each other with it. So like, I was like relearning the game with guys like this. And I found that I really, really enjoyed competitive play because it reminded me of sports and yeah. it was fun, and you could test your mind and your ideas against another person. So that okay. was when I really started to get into the community a lot more. 
Now, question. How many of those guys of that original gaming group of, of big power gamers, how many of those guys are still going? Do you know of any of them that are still active in the community? All of them except one, but he made a vow that he was going to wait till his kids were older until he got back into it. He's uh, still, so he's just he's sitting there biding his time in the shadows. <laughs> yeah, and he's and he's still lurking and paying attention to everything that's going on. He's, he's not he's not playing, but all of them still play, and all of them are still good as well. Awesome, that's actually that's actually fantastic. I love hearing that. Um, what was the first content you ever consumed, like outside of a, I guess a, a White Dwarf or a G Dub publication? What's the first independent piece of content you consumed? Podcast, blog, whatever. Uh, so the first one I, that I got involved with was Daka Daka. And um, that site was like massively influential in the competitive scene. So the Mm. uh, White Dwarf called Daka Daka the Shark Tank of 40K community. So of course I'm like, swoo, that sounds interesting. Let's see what's going on. (laughs) Rub myself with some pig blood and pig's blood jump into this bad boy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I was like, I I like that kind of environment. I know it's not for everybody, of course, but um, the thing that was cool is that it was the first time that you could put your ideas out there and mm. 40k is such a local localized experience right like what every community has their own little environment their own meta yeah. and yep. what's and what's good there isn't good somewhere else but then you take these egos and you put them into a common forum and they're like you're an idiot <laughs> of course this is the best thing so then uh, out of that out of that stew like really good ideas started coming up and daca was the only place that you could go online that was really competitive and the best minds in the game were there. And it was at the same time when the independent tournament scene was taking off, Adepticon was gaining steam. I was hearing like legends of like, oh, people go to this thing in Chicago where like the best players go. And I'm like, what? Like, what is this? And um, at the time, DACA was like almost unmoderated, right? Like it was like like, the meanest place ever. Like if your idea (laughs) got blasted, which isn't the kindest environment, but it is also the crucible through which only the best ideas survive, right? Like everyone else gets flamed into oblivion. Yeah. Uh, so that was cool because I was becoming a much better player playing with really good players and then comparing ideas to people from all around the country. It's sort of around the world a little bit. It was still mostly an American um, mm. and Canadian group. But then like, because of course you're younger and you're very ego-driven, there comes a point when you can only debate so much and the rubber has to hit the road and they're like, well, we'll throw down an Adepticon. And you're like, fine, I'm coming. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I love what you you said about the wider community. Like there is, there is a global 40 K community, well, tabletop community. And you're so true. I love that everyone, that the the different niches and portions of the community have kept their own personality despite the internet, despite, you know, things like stats center, things like your own organization really shining a light on different builds and different quirks of different areas. I think it's a real strength of our community that we've been able to not be a homogenous kind of linear thing as a, as a nook of say, I don't want to, say specifically magic gadget because i don't know a hell of a lot about the wider community but i know a little bit i know that once somebody gets on a hot thing it tends to be you know wholesale it's the thing that wins across the world you know for yeah. x amount of whatever um we're in 40k like yes yeah there are some there are some times when the meta is so powerful so um polarized eg castella you know castellan night castellan double speed unari um you know bro and whatever which will win no matter where it goes but there are such times in the community in, in the in our a time frame where it just doesn't matter you know it, it literally just doesn't matter like i guess i can speak for australia specifically it doesn't matter what's winning in the states horde's probably going to win in australia you know mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that kind of stuff i really love that it exists um and so but you said that that, that was that even in your back in in fourth edition there was even those quirks then and when the community yeah. was first just getting budding that that's really interesting to me i, I love that could you, you touch on that a little bit more like what was one of the first differences you saw like east coast guys play dreadnoughts west coast guys play land raiders you know Anything oh yeah like totally that? totally and right and because again because you have a combination of arrogance and youth and you know, yeah. in, in like inexperience and, and then also coming from a background of being very competitive like a lot of guys would get in there and really mix it up. Like, oh, you guys are clearly idiots. That thing sucks, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and, uh, and they're like, no, you're idiots. Obviously, dreadnoughts are for, you know, dum-dums. And uh, it was fun. Like, it, like not this, that kind of interaction turns a lot of people off. But for people who kind of enjoy the friction, it's really fun. Mm. And out of that, really good ideas come. And then one, there's like a couple things that happened all at the same time. Like independent tournaments started to become a thing. They're super small uh, mostly just RTTs, right? But we were going all yeah. the time. I went to at least one a month, right? 
And then Adepticon was leading the way with the big independent event. And then for me as an individual, I moved away from San Diego where I was, I didn't realize it, but I was in this like incredibly, incredibly competitive little bubble. Bubble, Um, yeah. And then I went to uh, LA and I was playing in the LA scene and I just smashed almost everybody. And I was like, oh, wow, I'm really, I'm really good at this game. And it's because I learned from all these really good players. And that was when, and also, you know, I had an adult job, so I had a little bit extra money. That was when I decided to make the pilgrimage to Adepticon because I was getting really involved in the online community and I wanted to prove that my ideas were, were valid because yeah. I, I usually played like off meta lists. And um, so I go to Adepticon and it was like, going to mecca you know i was just yeah. like well i was like people can do this this is unreal <laughs> like hold that thought there we'll take an ad break because i think this is a perfect little segue bit uh we'll jump into your experiences at your first your first big like national international class event so hold with this we'll be right back with some people who've got some advertising through the frontline gaming network of which we are both lovingly apart and uh, we'll see you on the other side this episode is brought to you by hp instant inc No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends you new cartridges, so you never have to think about ink. Save up to 50%. You'll pay less than $5 a month for ink and never run out again. Find out if your printer is eligible and enroll today at hpinstantink.com. Conditions apply. For details, visit hp.com slash instantinkspotify. And we are back with the wonderful Reese, who's just about to launch into his first Adepticon experience. So was this the first, like, this is the first giant, how big was Adepticon back then? This is the first giant event you've ever attended, yeah? Yeah, so if I remember correctly, back then, Adepticon had over 100 players in the 40k champs, which was, like, mind-boggling. Mind-blowing, yeah, exactly. Because yeah, right. all the RTTs and stuff that we went to, um, or even, like, uh, GT, which were ultra-rare back then, mm-hmm. had less than 20 people. A GT maybe had 30 people, but again, they were rare. And like there was, I think two. There was like the SoCal SmackDown, and uh, what was the other one? There was like a couple of them, and they were maybe 30, 40, 50 people, right? And playing in those and doing well and building up confidence, I was like, oh, I want to go to the biggest one, and it just blew my mind. Like you go into what the hall, it? and yeah. it's all these beautiful tables of terrain, and all these people that you'd only. The, the, the other really cool part is you got to meet people that you'd only engage with online. And at the time, Bowls was a thing, and that was the beginning mm. of the blogosphere. And I was writing for Bowls at the time. So um, I was starting to build a name for myself. People like recognize my name. And um, uh, 40K Radio was a thing. And like I'd never even heard of a podcast. Yeah. And I was like, there's a 40K radio show? <laughs> what? Oh, my God. And so like what? all these things were happening at the same time. And it was like really cool to be a part of it and see it. Um, and at the, you know, then I was just like, a, what, like maybe a one or two people might recognize me, like in the years to come it, that changed, but I was very much on the outside looking in and like the whole community re- mostly revolved around the Chicago area guys, a little bit in the Texas and the East coast. And, um, I was kind of coming in from the West coast and like super enthusiastic and young. And it was just, it was such an incredible experience. I had the best time, uh, made a bunch of friends and I came back and I was just like, preaching the good word i was like you yeah. guys gotta go this is so awesome <laughs> well dude i had that experience this year uh so i up until i came to lvo this year the, the biggest event i'd ever been to was either as a singles event was 120 people going to a CanCon in australia and then was the the etc i went to in 2019 which was uh oh, sorry uh, 2019 and 2018 which was a couple hundred people but man walking into lvo this year in january i was like what eleven hundred was it? I think it was eight hundred, nine hundred players. With yeah, that showed just, up. Yeah, I just lost my freaking mind w- walking into that hall. I think I had the same experience you did. I'm like, wow, this is this is the world stage. This is legit. Like anyone who wants to come, young and old, test your might. You know, Mortal Kombat soundtrack going in my back in the back yeah, of my head. Yeah, yeah, um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was an amazing, amazing thing. I, I'd like to thank you for putting that on. But uh, what, what was the army you took to that first Adepticon? What did you play? Uh, I played Space Wolves. So um, was uh, was that was that um, the Rhino Rush, the the Grey Hunters? No. So I played a different version of it. I played a, my Bjorn. I used Bjorn the Fell Handed, yep. and uh, one of the most popular articles I've ever written to this day um, 
was how to play yeah. that army. And that was, that was a, I'll, I'll tell a little side story, but it's really funny. That was when I realized that things were changing. Um, cause I was really active in the blogging community. Like I was writing at least one article a week, if not more. Mm-hmm. And um, really helping to get the ideas out there and help get people excited to go to events and you know all that sort of stuff. And this was before Frontline. Was, I just did it for fun. Um, I went to a tournament with my buddies, and I had uh, uh, we, we call it Missile Wolves or Bjorn Wolves um, army, and it was Space Wolves, but it was painted beige and mostly beige with black, and it was a really distinct army. Like it wasn't you didn't see it very frequently. I played a guy who had the exact same list painted beige with red. Huh. And I was looking at it and I was like, what the hell? This is my army. He's like, yeah, man, you inspired me to make this army. And then oh, he beat wow. me with it. <laughs> like, oh, no. oh. But that was when I really realized like, wow, like th- things are changing, right? Like yeah. that's, not, that's not something would have ever encountered before, right? Like when someone took your list and made it, um, mm. which it's flattering and it's neat, but that was when it really hit me. I was like, this media, the media and the hobby is very powerful. Like it's really reaching a lot of people and just getting people excited to go to events and to influence what they're going to like purchase. It really mm-hmm. dawned on me. I was like, wow, this is more than just something fun to do. This is something that's um, really effective uh, and, and helping to grow and build the community. Yeah. So what was your, what was your heyday edition? What was the edition where you feel like you peaked as a, as a gamer? <laughs> oh yeah. Fifth edition for sure. Like in fourth, I was mm-hmm. good. And, uh, I, I got up there. I started to punch up into like the, the higher ranks. Like back then, like Goat Boy won Adepticon. The last time it was a one day tournament for 40k event. He was super good. A lot of the yep. Chicago guys were really well known. And I was starting to punch up into that range. And then in fifth edition, I really hit my stride. My um, my army then, the Missile Wolves was in fifth edition. Excuse me. Yeah, what did I take to the first one? Oh, I, I, I can't. Oh, no, I can't remember what I took to the first one because it was still That's fourth. Uh, I can't. God, it was a long time ago. But um, oh. that that was when I started just crushing, right? I mm. won three GTs in one month, including the Hard Boy semifinals. When Jeez. you win the full full army, yeah, yeah I yeah. went to the I went to the semifinals like three years in a row. Paul Murphy knocked me out twice, and the, the second time he knocked me out, and this was the this was one of the very first times ever a game was streamed as well. The second time he knocked me out was such bullshit. Paul <laughs> got so lucky; he went up to a point. <laughs> I was trying to blow, kill this stupid dreadnought that was standing out in the. He didn't even put it in cover because he was really tired. We had to play it like five in the morning. Mm. At one point, he's like, "I'm not even going to put it in cover because we both know you're never going to kill it." And I was just like, "Damn you, Bob uh. Murphy!" That's tough. We should get you guys to. We should get you guys to have a game sometime. Recreate the magic. Yeah, we should. It was. Yeah, it was fun. It was a friendly rivalry, but that was when I was at the top of my game. I was playing at least at least two tournaments a month if not three mm. or four tournaments a month. And um, our team, we would usually go like one, two, three at every event we went to. We just smashed. And um, we were doing really well. And then we started frontline gaming. And then all of a sudden... <laughs> the ass fell out, yeah. <laughs> uh, and I still did well, but it's it's really difficult to, to to be a top-notch player. You have to be very, very focused on it. And that's true of, any, not, that's true of anything. Oh, uh, yeah. I'm currently... Right? Like, I'm sitting in that realm at the moment myself. Like... I'm, I'm still I'm trying to figure out where I am as a gamer because I'm committed to so many different um, so many different content creations. Like, do I have the time and dedication to maintain my skills, maintain the time needed to to stay at the top as a gamer? And it's 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 something I can't seem to decide. My passion's there, my drive's there. And let's talk. Are we able to talk about that a little bit? You can actually give me some advice if that's cool. Yeah, yeah, of course, I'd be happy to. How did you How did you manage that? The 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 kind of dividing of that, like turning your hobby into something you wanted to to be paid for, or well, so you wanted to become a job or a, or a role in your life outside of just enjoyment. And how did you quantify that with uh, either what I'm, I'm assuming is some passion and drive to still maintain and be the best? Yeah, it's it's really difficult. Like the one thing you have to accept if you if you turn your hobby into your if you turn your passion into your profession, the one thing you have to accept is that there's going to be highs and lows. Right. Like there's been times on this journey, this almost 10 year journey now of frontline gaming. Like, like I said, right before we started, I was hungry. I went to every, I would drive five hours every week and I didn't give a yep, crap. Yep. I wanted, I went to every event possible. I wanted to be the absolute best player that I could be. I was so razor edge of the meta, but that's all I focus on. Like I worked, I had my social life and then I was competitive 40 K 
that was it. Right. It's like the yeah. young bucks, like Nick and all those guys, like that's where they're at in their life right now. Mm-hmm. But when you start doing it every day, it's not like when you're at work now and you'll take a little break to go read a blog or like write a list or something. When you're at work now, you take a break, you do something different. <laughs> like, yeah. Like I want to look at anything other than 40k <laughs> for a bit. Yeah. And going you. to going to events, like there were times when it was like I was straight like forcing myself to go. I wanted to do any. I wanted to go to the event to see everybody, but I did not want to play. And there was periods of time where I would just like, I would drop after, after one round if I lost, not because I was salty, but just cause it was just like, Oh, the pressure's off. I don't, you know, I already lost a game. I can go drink a beer and talk to people. Um, yeah. But it's like, you really do need to accept the fact that your enthusiasm for it is going to wane at points, especially when business is tough. And you just like, or if your personal life is out of order, like you, you're going through a breakup or, you know, you've had a death in the family, you know, mm-hmm. there, there's times when you're just not into it. But you have to because can it's your job. We, can we talk to that a little bit? What's your what's your low point? So firstly, what's, what's your low point as a gamer? And then what is your overall low point as a, being a member of the community? Like what is your your either either a, a bad memory, a disappointing interaction, or a well and whatever you're you're willing to talk to? Yeah, I mean I've had mostly I've, I, I can count on one hand the amount of times I've been at a gaming event and had a truly unpleasant experience. Mm. It's super rare. And I, I've been to more tournaments than 99.9% of all people that play the game. Yeah. It's just yeah. good. I've been doing it for a long time and I've been going to tournaments since I was in high school and I, almost everyone's pleasant. And if someone, even if you do begin to have like a little bit of a bad interaction, if you have decent social skills, you can turn it around pretty quickly. You can navigate it. Yeah. 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 Um, so that, that's not the low point for me. It's been the low points for me have been when I just have not been enthusiastic about playing the game for whatever reason. Great. Answer. And fe- yeah, and feeling trapped, right? Like one mm. of the, the key points of that was at the end of fifth edition, fifth edition was brilliant. At the end of it, it just was a shit show. Like, uh, dude, it was a joke, wasn't it? The, well, the, yeah. the, the, the Pally Star and then the demons doing the, the yeah. Matt Ward demons codex came out. And everyone was like, ah, oh, rabble, 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 rabble. Yeah. Uh, the, the game just went to absolute hell, didn't it? But for like the, for like the, what, three years, four years of fifth edition, it was a dream. It was like, the, it was a, brilliant. Apart from, well, Eighth edition, the ninth edition looks like it's going to be a renaissance, a return. But pr- prior to this year, all through sixth and all through seventh, we all felt we all were looking back longingly on fifth edition as the golden age, weren't we? Yeah, pining for it because up yeah. until up until Grey Knights came out, it was amazingly good. Mm. And even the quote unquote bad armies, which I played at the time, I played what what most people said was the worst army in the game, which was Eldar. Ironically. And um, I went and I started winning tournaments left and right with them. And then all of a sudden, oh, it's like, oh, no, Eldar are bad. And you're like, yeah, yeah. come on. Well, I was, um, I was, the, I was the, that was the first guy in my scene to jump on the leaf flower. And, uh, yeah. and <laughs> yeah. that, it's funny. It's funny you bring that up because that was the first net list. Mm-hmm. And that was Mr. Mr. Nick Rose. And he won uh, hard boys with it. And he didn't just win. He, he won so crushed. He crushed everybody so badly that everybody was like, what the hell is going on? And of course, that's at the beginning of everybody being aware of what's going on. Mm-hmm. And then you started seeing people take that list. And it was like, oh, you're bringing that list, you know, the net list. And that was yeah. seriously the beginning. That was the beginning of that. Um, and it won all these events. And because then at the same time, the independent tournament scene exploded, right? Like after yeah. Adepticon led, led the, the way, Nova came up. It wasn't their first year. It was actually their third year, but it was the first year Mike made some risky but brilliant marketing moves by taking the two biggest controversial figures in the community and having them play against each other. <laughs> um, which I yeah, that's awesome. Credit where it's due. It it tarnished. It, it definitely tarnished Nova's reputation a little bit. Um, however, drew all, the, drew all the eyeballs. Exactly. Exactly. It's like you know what's this idiot's name? J- Jake Paul or Logan Paul or something like that. Uh, yeah, the, yeah. the YouTube guy, okay. and, like he's gonna he's gonna quote unquote fight you know Conor McGregor. I'm like, give me a break, right? But yeah, it's gonna draw or whatever. Yeah, exactly yeah, right. I hope he I hope he punches his head right off of his shoulder. Same. <laughs> I, I just hope he explodes in the ring. Yeah. <laughs> and it was it was like that. And then I have to give credit to Mike too. He's a really good friend of mine. That was like it was a depth seeing a Depticon being expired. Um, seeing that all what I thought at the time was this like this one year event. I didn't realize they were in the third year. I thought it was their first year. 
that blew up was just some really smart marketing moves. And then there was mm. another group in LA that were running what I thought were the best formatted events. And a lot of what the ITC is and a lot of the ideas came from that. And these guys were hardcore competitive magic guys that also play 40K. So like out of that stew, we came up with the idea that we're like, apparently anyone can do this. So like, why don't mm. we do it? And, and we did the BAO, which yep. was the first big competitive event on the West Coast. And it was a big success right away and that's that is where frontline gaming came from so yeah well uh, was that the first time you'd ever like stepped into the business sphere in the 40k realms like you said you'd been writing blogs and whatnot but was frontline gaming your first venture or were there other 40k ventures prior uh no so <clears throat> frontline gaming is my fifth business which hilariously it takes the average entrepreneur five attempts to be successful in business yeah, yeah. I, which I, I, I i'm like i well. guess I'm I'm incredibly average. <laughs> <laughs> but well, who cares if the, if the end result's there? What was your first one? What was your first um, 40, 40K business? No, or, or this, tab- this, was my, this was my first 40K business. My other ah, okay, businesses cool. were, were non-gaming related. But hilariously, the other businesses, when you did it strictly to try and make money, it's not the same as when you're doing something because you love it, right? Like, it's it's different. It's very it's different. So it's so yeah. true. I'm, I am so much more willing to put so many more of my own personal hours into this because it's something I already enjoy doing. Like it's it's a thing, isn't it? Like yes, you said, it, you used to when you were doing commission painting for people, you'd paint all the stuff yourself. You didn't have you didn't have studio painters. You didn't have. Um, I remember you. I remember that was how you got involved with the the late great um, in control Robinson. He used to yeah. get you guys to paint his miniatures for him. Yep, that's that is exactly it. And it's like I talked because I I. Um, I I, I do. We, we have a consultative service, and we charge like a nominal fee just so that I don't want people to waste my time. I want people to yeah. spend enough money yeah. that I know that they're serious and uh, give a consultation and like about okay, if you want to try and get into the gaming business, like or you want to run an event, like I can help you. And that's like one of the things I tell people all the time is like if you're really doing it because you're driven by a, a love for it, doors will open, opportunities will happen, mm. and it gives you the fuel to overcome. The times when it's just awful, when it sucks. Yeah, we're, we're in another business venture. When you're strictly just motivated by trying to make money, you might just go like, "Yeah, hey, whatever. Like it failed, no big deal." Yeah. And now, exactly if it's right. like something you really care about, you'll push through those tough times. So, what would be what would be your advice to anybody looking to either get involved in content creation or get involved in the business in the forty k sphere? What, what was your first point of call? What was your first spark that gave you inspiration to really jump in? Yeah, so for for me, um, community organizing I started doing when I was like twelve or eleven or whatever. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that that just comes natural. I'm really really social, so that that yeah. is super easy for me. But um, I really started to see what it was what was possible when I got involved with uh, Bowls and blogging. And at the time, Bowls was like mm-hmm. the only show in town. That was the blog, yeah. and like it really was cool to like try because I was an English major, right? So I like writing anyway. It's it's enjoyable. Yeah to create something to get positive and negative feedback and to see how much it impacts people, but then to see it actually influence the decisions that they make in their own lives. Um, And then we were running tournaments like nonstop prior to the BAO Mm -hmm. because we just, we were tournament junkies. Like my team, all of us (laughs) were young and we just wanted more events. So we went to every business, uh, every game store in our area and we're like, Hey, you don't have 40 K tournaments. We'll run them for you. Um, just give us the ticket money to use for our discretion for prizes and mm-hmm. we'll run the tur- the event for you and promote it. You don't have to do anything. People just show up. And so that was like kind of where we got going with it, especially with like yep. there was money involved. Um, and I was, you know, I'd always like keep the books for every event. So we knew exactly how much money and all this stuff. So that when we did the BAO, it was actually a pretty professional effort. I'd already tried, I'd already been an entrepreneur and failed. Yeah. So when we did it, we did it like, like obviously now I could have done it way better, but like we did it pretty freaking professionally, right? Like mm-hmm. everything was on time. All our books were in order. We had a budget. Like we did everything that you needed to do to make the event as to maximize the odds of success. And with our first, what would be now called a major, um, we made $14, baby. Oh <laughs> man. You guys watch out. Get yourself yeah. some ice cream after that bad boy. <laughs> and the, the only reason, well, because our goal was just to not lose money because we knew the first year was the hardest. But the yeah. funny thing is the only reason that we actually didn't lose money is back then to, there, there was no solution for a gaming table, right? Like you just had to make do. 
So we went to the local hardware store and we bought like, what was it? A hundred sheets of plywood, four by eight, threw them on the tables. And then of course, back then, like we had colored cloth that we put on the tables. That's why we made mats. That's why we came up with the gaming mats because we needed a solution. And after the event, we returned the wood to the (laughs) the department. Yeah, it was like, it was like two or three grand for the wood. I was like, God, we just blew our budget. I was like, wait a minute, they have a full return policy. <laughs> so we what brought was it back. Bring it back. Bring it back. What yeah. did you say to them? I like we we I feel bad about this part of it, but we were like, oh, we had a construction job that fell through and we don't uh, need it. Good job. But the I thing is you just, don't even I, thought, I, I was just picturing you and Frankie walking in sheepishly and being like, <laughs> sorry, this wood is not uh, wood enough for our, our project <laughs> refund please <laughs> yeah I mean, you don't have to justify it. like there, it's no, like it's a no questions asked refund policy but you feel bad you know Dude, um, yeah. but that was like finding creative ways to save money and again because i'd already been involved in multiple entrepreneurial ventures you, you're kind of your mind is kind of oriented towards that like okay mm-hmm. there isn't a solution that's obvious but there is a solution you just have to get creative and it's little things like that that help you get going because you are probably going to lose money the first time you run a big event. It's just there's too much upfront sunk cost that you, you can't um, offset with ticket price. Yeah, exactly right. Um, so in, in wrapping up, so your, your journey has been one of a lot of ups and downs. And I, I guess when you – like, uh, would I be right in saying the low point would probably be like the, the collapsing of one of your businesses or the, the, fe- the feelings of failure associated with not getting something off the ground? Yeah, yeah. Like, like non-gaming like – the lowest point in, in gaming, uh, there was twice when, we, when Frontline Gaming almost went out of business and it took like a miracle. Mm-hmm. I had to like come up with some financial like walking on water thing that had immense risk. Like to me as an individual, like a minch, immense financial risk to me. And you had to like, it was like starting the business over again. There was multiple times where it was like, well, I'm putting myself into enormous debt to save the day, and here we go again. And so those those are those are tough, right? Like you have Mm -hmm. to be really dedicated to to do that more than once. Um, Obviously, when when Jeff died, that was emotionally the lowest point in this. That was awful, Um, but. Right before Frontline Gaming, I was a part of another venture with some of my best friends from high school, and it taught me a lot. It was a high-risk, high-reward venture. I would have been a multi-deca millionaire if we would have succeeded. Like, fabulous wealth. And we had the best team. We were extremely well-funded with venture capital. We worked 16-hour days. We all moved into the same house. No money. For a year, for almost two years, zero income, mm. and through like something we had no control over, forty-five days from bringing our product to the market, like it was like the hand of God came down oh, wow. and ended it. And after that much emotional investment, we lost all the money. Mm. I was at the end of my rope emotionally, like because I had two businesses fail in a row. And this one, I had tried my hardest. I was with people that were ultra smart, super dedicated, and we still failed. And I it was. wasn't because, and it was something we had no control over. Mm-hmm. So before we started frontline gaming, I was really, really down in the dumps. I was very depressed, and how I was does, about to. Yeah, how does someone come back from that and come back from their lows? I mean, you have, must have an amazing level of resilience. But how do you how do you deal with those negative emotions? It's a challenge, right? Like you, like for me, I had a really good support network. So I was having so much negative thought and I was really, really depressed. I also had a, a relationship fail at the same time, which makes it even more challenging. Yeah. Um, and so luckily I have a really good support network and I, I have no compunction about calling my, one of my best friends, be like, Hey dude, I need to talk. Mm-hmm. I'm like really upset. Mm-hmm. And, um, just talking about it is not is 90% of the, what needs to happen to help get yeah. yourself. Um, it's really, it sounds really cheesy and I, but I, I tell people all the time, um, I did positive affirmations and it sounds so stupid, I mean, just but every stuff, night, just yeah, every night talk. you can do I this, you're go, worthy, you're good enough. Yeah. I would just list, mm-hmm. I'd like, these are all the things I'm thankful for in my life. Right. Even if you don't believe it, right. Cause when you're depressed, you have this like crazy record that just won't stop. Yeah. You just, I just did it every night, like without fail. And um, I was about to go back into a, you know, quote unquote, normal job because I was like, oh, I'm not good enough to be an entrepreneur. I'm a failure. 
And my buddy out of nowhere was like, hey, dude, I found this like commercial space that's super cheap. You always said you wanted to open a game store. Like maybe this is a chance. So I went and looked at it. And I was literally, I was talking to a headhunter to go back into um, what I used to do before in the financial world, like a, just like a normal job, right? Grinding, mm-hmm. grinding away. And at the last minute, I was like, I'm going to try one more time to be an entrepreneur. And if it doesn't fail or if it doesn't work, that's it. I, I tried. So we, that's when we went and started from my gaming and I only had $10,000 to start mm-hmm. the business. And then my dad loaned me, um, six grand for 16. I paid him back with interest. And um, in the first year, but that's it. We started a whole retail business with $16,000, which is insane. insane. <laughs> that's yeah. not you, so, like you, you, sometimes you don't start those businesses with 10 times that, like sometimes you no. don't. It's, no, it, no. that's crazy. But that was actually my question. Like, how does some guy at the lowest of lows who's just essentially, in, in your own words, failed four times, pick yourself up for the fifth? And yeah, it's, it's actually an absolute testament to you that you've been able to do what you've done and uh, persevere. Because man, a lot of people just check out and go, I, I guess I'm working in a factory job for the next 40 years because yeah, I just get stuck in that. But man, yeah, well done, dude. That, that story is incredible. Thanks. Yeah, it's, you know, I, I tell people all the time too. I'm like, because I, I share that story when I'm telling people like when you're getting ready to start a business, this is what it's like. It's it, the mm. highs are high and the lows are low and it's awful. And like you'll be making zero, you'll be making less than a minimum wage person for a lot, for way longer than you think. Um, yeah. And I always, I always share that, that story. I'm like, it's, you, I was like, you need to, to be a little bit Unless you have a ton of money to start the business, like you have millions yeah. of dollars or whatever, and you, you, it's almost like you can make lots of mistakes and it doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah. Um, if you're bootstrapping it, I was like, you have to be prepared to pay with sweat equity and it, and, and emotional capital. And uh, one of my friends who's a, a much more experienced entrepreneur than me shared a story with me that I, I always share with other people. And I'm like, sit down and do all the homework. Think about how much money it's going to take to start the company times it by two. That's what it will actually cost. Yep. Think about how long it's going to take to get to become profitable. Times it by two. That's how long it will actually take. Think about how much money you're going to make on this venture and divide it by two. And that's what you will actually make. <laughs> and if you're still prepared to see it through, looking at it from that point of view, then you're, you're, then you're ready. Because um, I tell people, I'm like, Lance Armstrong said it, said it best, right? Really, really successful people are running towards or away from something, right? Like, when I went into Frontline, I was like, I remember telling my mom, I was like, I'm at the end of my rope. I'll sleep in my car. Yeah. I'll eat rice and beans. I'll, you know, mm-hmm. I'll, for as long as it takes, I will die before I fail. And I, you, you nice. really need that mentality if you're going to bootstrap it. Well, I think we should, we should leave it here for the, for this portion. I think that's a, a perfect place to leave it. We'll pick it up with those same sentiments starting on the other side. We'll talk a little bit more about, um, I suppose, some of the psychological things that go along with starting up a business such as this. But uh, thank you so much, Reese, for for giving us your your thoughts and your feelings and your history. Because it's really you really not only did you give your give us your history for those at home, you, you got a history of tabletop gaming in this episode. Um, and I'm not saying Reese is old. I'm saying Reese has been involved. Uh, and, and I am old for that long, <laughs> but uh, that doesn't. It wouldn't matter. It, it wouldn't matter if you started when you were five, or when you were ten, or fifteen, or twenty, whatever. Um, you've just, you've just been, you've held the course throughout the entire kind of journey of this game, coming to, I guess, where it is today, which is something that's quite a prominent thing uh, across the world. So. Thank you so much. If anybody who's interested, please come and join us over um, for part two, either on the the Art of War Forty K dot com website or on our Patreon page, um, the Art of War underscore down under. Find us there, sign up, and get involved. Because yeah, this this level is, isn't going to change. We're, in fact, we're probably going to go deeper from here. Um, but Reese, anything you'd like to say before we chop out? Anything you'd like to plug? Well, obviously, Frontline Gaming. Uh, thank you for having me. I hope I didn't talk too much. I feel like I was. Uh, I feel like I was talking over you a couple of times, and I'm really—I apologize for that. That's terrible. Uh, no, don't, don't, dude. You—you you, everything you said was amazing. Don't worry about it. I, I'm usually one talking over people, so it's probably my due to coming back at me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all good. But no, uh, thank you for having me, and I hope anybody—if there's any takeaway from this—hopefully you join us for the next segment. But if you don't, if there's any takeaway from this, that I think um, I hope the, the the core idea is if you're if you are passionate about something. And you're willing to to go all in on it. Mm-hmm. The financial stuff, as long as you keep an open mind, it will come, yeah. right? But it just if you do something to your best ability that you love, 
opportunities will present themselves to you that you never imagined possible. Mm -hmm. And and we're in the middle of doing, of going through those still now, like people will pay attention to what you're doing because you're doing it with integrity and, 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 and enthusiasm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I can I can tell you that's most of what I bring to the t- most of what I bring to the table. <laughs> it seems to be doing alright for me. But uh, dude, thank you so much. We'll go. We'll have a, a short break and we'll go and record part two. Thank you so much to the wonderful patrons and the listeners out there. People who leave us comments, people who leave us reviews, people who support the Frontline Gaming Network and all the amazing things that they do. And uh, lastly, dude, thanks again, Reese. And uh, I'll see you on the other side, guys. Thank you for listening to Art of War Down Under. A content review podcast for Warhammer 40K. Hosted by Adam Camilleri. Produced by Seamus Ronan. Enjoyed the show? Want your lists reviewed and the content you heard put into practice? Sign up to our Patreon and connect with us online or on Facebook. Just search for Art of War Down Under. Signing out from tomorrow. Tomorrow.